I want to invite a friend up here. Tim, come on up. Um, yeah, I just uh, met in 2000, what, 2007. Probably so, yeah, yeah. Moved to Waco. Um, and uh, I was in Waco on staff at the time and just uh, was just immediately just noticed the love for Jesus and people that was on this family's life. Um, and it's always just been a mark that I've uh, just a sincere love for Jesus and people. And so, as Tim will share, they uh, were missionaries for many years, uh, reaching uh, Kurdistan. And um, he'll share more about that. But, you know, part of, part of the heart of this World Mandate Weekend is not only to be um, open to what God is doing and how he's calling us to participate in the Great Commission, but hearing stories of what God is doing around the world and hearing, hearing the word of the Lord back to the American church and back to us as we need that uh, from, from other believers. And so Tim's going to bring one of those words to us today that I think is a word of the Lord for us and our church. And I think we're going to be blessed. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks. Come on. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, yeah. Pray with me real quick. Uh, it's gonna, Lord, thank you for Tim. And I pray for your, uh, your hand to be upon him and to move through him. Uh, I know you will. And God, I just open our hearts to hear the word of the Lord and what you want to speak to us today in mm. Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Um, such a joy to be with you. Thank you for uh, inviting us to be here. Toby, my son, is with me. Um, if you guys could put the picture of my family up. When we were running through the practice, it was upside down. Hey, we got it right side up. It was upside down earlier. I don't know if I sent the wrong kind of picture, but there's my family. My daughter, Annie, she's 19. She's a second year in college at Taylor University, a small private Christian school in Indiana. My beautiful wife, Christy, of 22 years. Uh, my son, Jesse, who is 16. He is a junior in high school. And then Toby, who's right here with, with me, 17. He's a senior um, we took a Friday morning to go visit Biola, and he's trying to figure out uh, what, what the Lord's calling him to do and where he wants to be, and uh, many of you know that journey probably recently. So um, thank you for, again, for inviting us to be here. We spent the day yesterday with World Mandate and um, shared a little bit about the Middle East, uh, just our story. In 2009, in 2007... Uh, God told us, you're moving to Iraq, to northern Iraq, to Kurdistan. And um, we were in Atlanta at the time. We moved to, we, we heard about Kurdistan through Antioch. Um, they, as a family, and um, we were very much called to the nations as a family. Uh, Christy and I both, as teenagers, before we knew each other, we met in the nations in Papua New Guinea, and we're like, Okay, Lord, we're, we're like, here I am, send me. We got married in 2000, and, and God, God just kept delaying. Like, he just wouldn't send us. We're like, God, but we're, like, we're raising our hand. I'm looking around, and nobody else is raising their hand, and he won't send us. And, um, and so in 2007, we got our call to the nations. Um, at this passion conference, we were, we were college pastors at the time. Well, it was Antioch who was there, and, and so in February of, 20, of 2007, we took a trip out to Waco, Texas, 
they, the, the guy we were walking with said, hey, why don't you come to Waco and see who we are as a people and, and come to our, this missions conference we have called World Mandate. And so we went to World Mandate 07 and um, just got rocked. Uh, I went to Moody Bible Institute, so came from a fairly conservative version of, of Christianity, very Jesus-centered, centered around the church. Um, I would say just a, a little different interpretation of the role of the Holy Spirit today, filled with the Holy Spirit, just a little less open to how weird he can be, and um, a, little, a little more intimidated by, by, like, what if we mess that up and people don't get healed, and what if we prophesy and it doesn't come true? You know, there's, it's hard when, you're, when, when you just want to see God do what he says. So I, I come from a great tradition of of the word of God being central to our life. And, and then we go to World Mandate, and I'm like, these people are so weird. Yeah. And, but love Jesus more than, any, more than any people I've ever seen. I've seen I, I had met people. My parents were two of those people who loved Jesus. But I had not seen a people who is so in love with Jesus um, as, as Antioch was. I went out to my car during the sessions a couple times. I'm like in the fetal position, rocking back and forth. And I'm like, I said, Jesus, if we serve with them, do I have to be like them? <laughs> and, you know, so graciously, he said, Tim, just don't worry about that. Look at me. Look at me. And, and, and it helped. We knew immediately we've got to be a part of this people. We want to be part of a people who are in love with Jesus. And uh, so we jumped in. We sold everything in Atlanta. We moved to Waco in 08, and we jumped into the training school. And it was the hardest year of our marriage because when all that garbage is coming up out of your life, whatever, I mean, the training school is just like, it, it's like, here's the word of God and scripture, the holiness of Jesus, but here's you. Yikes. <laughs> but then look back at him and look at how he's looking at you, despite that you look like that, and it's like, Wow. And it's good. So good. That was that was fifteen years ago. And it's still I mean, I cry. People at Antioch make bets about how long into my sermons it's gonna take for me to be crying. So uh, it, it's part of, part of the grace of God on me. I used to hate it. Now I just, it happens. So, so we, we did the training schools in Waco, and we moved to Iraq in 2009. And um, from, from May of 2009 until December 2020, we were, we were in Kurdistan in northern Iraq. And, um, man, we loved that season. We loved it. Um, we miss it. We, we, um, I'll, I'll get more into that story in a minute. We just love that place. And the Kurds are the, they are, they are the best. They're the best. And um, love that people. And now we're called to be here. And so we're saying yes to being here. And um, actually, I just, I was on staff with the church for about a year after we got back, and, and it, it wasn't the right season. It wasn't the right place, the right job for me. It's hard coming back off the field. 
And so in June, I took a job in business, and I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I've been a pastor for 18 years, and, and, but I'm, I'm doing what, what God has put in front of us. And so um, let's, let's, we're going to look at the Word together. Um, and for two months, God has had me mulling over 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we're going to look at, at that together and see what God has to say. I love to... I, I, I love that the Holy Spirit moves in the room when we, when we uh, open up the Word of God, and so I just want to exhort you that if he starts speaking, please listen to him and not to me. It's okay to be distracted by him. Uh, it's not okay to be distracted by me. Um, and so just if, if he starts moving and you start hearing from him, then just let him speak and uh, go with that. So we're, we're going to, we've got Three sections here that we're going to look at. We're going to start in verse 7, the jars of clay. <clears throat> and there are three paragraphs, essentially, from there through verse 18. And we're going to look at those. In the first section, I just want to call the day of, um, the day of suffering. And the middle section is the day of believing. And the final section is the day of seeing. And actually, we're going to flip. We're going to flip sections two and three. We're going to go from the day of suffering to the day of seeing, and then we're going to get back into the, the, the depth of what I think the Lord has to say, and that is the day of believing. And so um, let's just read. I just want to read verses 7 to 12, then we'll talk about it a little bit. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Um, we have this treasure. Listen, I, I just want to say the words in this book matter. They, they matter. And what I mean by that is you can't mess around with this. You can't make it say what you want. The words were written with a purpose. And do they apply today? Yes, because the word of God is alive and active. And it, it cuts into your need and your place. But you can't make it say what you want. And so I just exhort you to be people who study the word of God, who, who read it for what it says, who read it and... Don't just read it. I also want to say it's not enough to just read a chapter of Scripture every day and believe that you're studying Scripture. I want to exhort you, get into what it says. Learn hermeneutics. Learn to study. Learn to, to reference. We don't even need, you don't need to learn Greek today. A few people do to keep, to keep that in the church tradition. But you can, you can look at the Greek from, from all the tools we have. We have so much available to us. The word will come alive. And as a prophetic people, we have got to be grounded in the word of God because the, the, the inerrant word of God is what keeps our prophetic in the spirit of God. 
it, our prophetic will never disagree with this, ever. This is the general revelation of God, true from the beginning of history until the end of history. The special revelation of God that comes through the prophetic, through the working of the Holy Spirit today, through revelation and words of knowledge, that's not true for all of history. It might be true for a moment, but it will never disagree with what is true for all of history, and that is the revealed word of God to us. And so the words matter. So we look at this, and in, I'm reading the ESV. There's lots of great translations, but we have this treasure so what is the treasure? It's referring, a pronoun refers to something before it, right? So the treasure, you look at the, the verse before that, it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts uh, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So something that I'm being influenced by right now is this neurotheologian, his name is Jim Wilder, and he's pairing the science of theology, or the study of theology with the science of the, the, with brain science. Joy comes when you walk in a room and someone's face shows that they're happy to see you. Joy is experienced and expressed in, in the face, like scientifically. I'm speaking science, not necessarily theology, but theology says the same thing, that that. The light has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see his glory and we know his joy because when we look at the face of Jesus, we see the joy of Jesus and we experience joy knowing that when we walk in the room where Jesus is, he's happy to see you. That's what joy is, knowing that Jesus is happy to see you. So this is the treasure that we're talking about holding. The treasure is, is Jesus. The jar of clay is us. We are not the, we're not the thing of substance. We're a container for the substance of Jesus. It's crazy that in verse 6 it says that God said, let light shine out of darkness. You recognize that statement, that quote? In the beginning, God said from darkness, let there be light. And I just want to say to you, He's saying that as he rebirths you in the spirit. He's bringing light from into darkness, and then darkness goes away. It can't be there anymore. And that's the treasure that we're carrying. But as jars of clay, we are prone to suffering. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit of my story, because we don't have a lot of time. But 12 years... It was glorious and full of suffering. We loved living in Kurdistan. Our kids grew up there. Toby was four when we got there. Jesse was three. Annie was six. They grew, they grew up there. Toby, one time, our team leader, a guy named Paul Faya, he's half Brazilian, half Chinese, so he's, he's mixed, right? So Toby is four years old, and he says one day, Mr. Paul, I'm mixed too. Paul's like, what? Really? He says, yeah, I'm half English and half Kurdish. Because <laughs> he just thought, well, this, this is where we're from. He, you know, it's what he knew. Another time he said, Dad, when are we going to go to Englishstan? <laughs> because we were speaking Kurdish and we lived in Kurdistan. And so he said, we speak English. When are we going to Englishstan? We, we loved our life there. We learned the language. We speak the language well. We, we trans, most of our time there as a platform, we translated children's books into Kurdish. 
uh, such a joy. You are special, Max Lucado's The Wemmicks, if you've ever read that. We translated that into Kurdish. Um, the Giving Tree, uh, a bunch of other, we did, we did nine or ten books. It was such a joy. Um, but our ministry, we went there, and listen, we're, we're this prophetic, apostolic, we're going to read people, Antioch, and we're going to go change the world, because we're world changers, and we're going to reach the whole Kurdish people, and I bet it'll take us at least two or three weeks. Man, and I'm, I'm a visionary type thinker, like thinking 10 years down the road, and we're hitting Kurdistan, and I'm like, all these, all these other missionaries, they must not know what they're doing, because it's not saved yet, and I'm here now. Man, oh man. I, there definitely was pride, and, and my, my flesh pattern is a, is a, I'm a Pharisee in my flesh. Self-righteousness is never good. Um, and we went in the grace of God. I'm not saying I was just full of, full of self-righteousness. We went full of faith and, and following Jesus and expecting great things, expecting to find people who, who wanted to throw off Islam and throw themselves at the feet of Jesus and, and who were like, I've been waiting. I saw Jesus in a dream and and. I've been waiting for you to come and tell me about who he is. And 12 years later, we had one guy who was a neighbor who's, who says he loves Jesus. He doesn't really understand that much. He didn't really want to study the Bible, but he was my best friend. I love him to death. We spent so much time together. His name is Taha. We would fix air conditioners and pipes and, and do discipleship by talking about Jesus on the way. But that's it. No church's birth. A lot of pain. A lot of wondering. God, if you, why, why am I such a bad missionary if you sent me here to be a missionary? I'm not good at this. I, spoke, I speak great Kurdish. We share the gospel a lot. Just, you know, people didn't believe. And I, I carried the suffering of Jesus. And I felt disappointed a lot, especially toward the end. And I, I wondered, like, God, what are you doing? Why, why are you get, putting my life into this? Not like I'm worth more than I should be doing something more important, but, like, I don't understand why you sent me to Kurdistan to love this people and to pour my life out, and they're not believing. You know, and along the way, my theology has become more formed on that. There's three, there's three inner... Three entities, interactions in someone's salvation. There is God who initiates and has created and given grace and power and his son Jesus and has given everything that's needed. Ephesians 2, the grace of God has been based. God is initiating through Jesus, his death and resurrection and ascension, right? So grace, God is initiating salvation in the earth. There is the church who usually he uses. Occasionally he does it on his own, but not that often. It's, those are anecdotes. He usually, because his, his decision, his authority, his sovereignty has said, I want to use you. Messy, broken, weak people, I want to use you. And so there's that. But what I misunderstood, I think, in some ways, was there's also this, the person who needs salvation, the lost. 
And just because God has initiated and I said yes and I'm going doesn't mean they have to respond. You know, I, I wanted that tree that he planted in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I wanted him to say, okay, we're just going to dismiss that and all the people you love are going to be saved. But he planted the tree and the tree, and the tree was there to say, you can choose me or not because without choosing me, you can't love me. And so he planted this tree in the, in the garden that, that, that he said, everything's good. Everything is yours. Just don't eat that one tree, fruit from that one tree. And we chose with Adam and Eve to eat the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and say, you know what, God, I think I know better than you. And, and like, of all people, if, if I could erase the tree, it would be for my three children you know, and all my grandchildren, it's just like, God, just save them, save them. And we often pray, God, save them. And he's like, I did, I am, I have. I did my part, I'm doing my part. And it requires a response from a human heart to be broken and contrite and humble and repent. And, but I carried the weight of their response for years and years. And that weight is too heavy. My strength is not enough. My power to save is zero. That's it. I have nothing. And man, it hurts when you try to carry the power of salvation. That's the yoke that I was carrying, and Jesus is like, you don't need that yoke. Come in my yoke. I have the power of salvation. And, and so it's confusing sometimes when, when we try to do God's job for him. And we try to force somebody to respond to the gospel. Man, I tried to argue lots of Muslims into faith in Jesus. And it didn't work. It never worked. Never once. But what, I real, what, I've, what I've learned along the way is that, so I've been through counseling about pain stuff. I, I, I've been through depression. I have hurt. It is painful to not see what, what you feel like God promised. It hurts. And my counselor really helped me, a guy named Peter. He said, Tim, you're killing yourself living in this paradigm of outcome. You, you can't control outcome and you can't live for outcome because you're only in charge of you. And as we process that over a number of weeks and months, I realized the paradigm I actually love to live in is a paradigm of presence. And, and God started to show me when you show up and you talk with, with somebody, you're, you're the presence of Jesus to that person in that space. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you're being, wherever you're living in, in the Spirit, you're the presence of Jesus. I love presence. I love being with people. I'm not, I'm not that extroverted. I'm kind of on the middle of the introvert, extrovert. I just, my, my, who I am, who God made me to be, I love being face-to-face with people. And God has started to show me the great delight that he has when I'm face-to-face. I can present Jesus, and I did many, many times. And, and only Taha believed. But Many people were in the presence of God through me. Many people felt loved. 
And, and, but that's all I am is a jar of clay. Like, I have to understand who he is, the treasure, and I have to understand who I am, this vessel, and that's it. It doesn't mean we're not important. The image of, of the eternal God is in us and in everyone else, so we have value from that standpoint. So it's not, we're not unvaluable, but we're not central to this story or to value. God is, God is valuable. Jesus is worthy. And only he's worthy. So this is not a humans are bad, God is good. This is a Jesus is worthy and he's good. And he's good and he's good and he's good. And he's given us value. But we're a vessel. We are not the heart of this story. Um, what I know is that this church has also suffered. That, that you guys have walked through a lot. And maybe you weren't in this church two years ago. Maybe you were in another church that suffered. The church suffered over the last three years. God's people suffered. The body, but God. It's not similarly to how I've suffered and we've suffered. It's like, but God. It's not supposed to be this way. This is not how it's supposed to be. And I know it. I feel it. I hate it. I just want, frankly, I just want to be nice to people, but I'm not sometimes. I want to have grace for people who think differently about masks or not masks. I want to have grace for people who think differently about women in ministry or not in ministry. I want to be, have grace for people who think, who, in the church, who think a little differently than I do about theology or opinion or, or doctrine or masks. I don't want to hate those people because we think a little differently on some minor, unimportant issue. But I find my heart just like struggling to love and be nice to Christians. And I'm like, God, it shouldn't be this way. You might have been stabbed in the back by somebody that you thought would always have your back over the last couple years. You might have been betrayed, and it might still really hurt. But we've gone through a lot of similar suffering over the last couple years. And here's the thing. You look, look at verses 10 and 11. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? Here's where the words matter. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Do you know that the manifestation of Jesus in your body is only through death? If you don't die, if you don't carry in your body the death of Jesus, you don't manifest the life of Jesus. That's what so that means in, in grammar. It means that death is alive in you through Jesus. What does that mean? It means you're giving up yourself, your own importance, your own value, your, not value, your own like significance, your, that you're more important than what, whoever's in front of you if you're doing that, you're not going to manifest the life of Jesus, period. And it says it twice. I mean, Paul basically repeats the exact same words two times. He only does that when he's really trying to make a point. Because the, the next verse, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Guys, it's for Jesus' sake. It's for his sake that we're suffering. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. 
So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul was like, I'm suffering. It's for you. I'm, I'm in, in this, Paul's responding to them basically mocking him for being poor and being a tent maker and not being one of these super apostles who is really, really uh, good with words and a great orator. And they're like, who are you, Paul? We've got these other, these other people there, and, and they're asking us, they're, they're telling us how important they are. And he's kind of going this humble road and saying, all I've done is hurt, die for you so that the life of Jesus might be manifest in you. And I just want to call you to that weakness. And we're going to, we're going to look more at that in a minute, but there is no manifestation of, Jesus, of the life of Jesus without there being an experience of the death of Jesus for others. It, it doesn't happen. Okay, let's read quickly the, the last section. So verses 16 to 18 so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. Paul seems kind of rude sometimes. I don't feel like my affliction is light and momentary. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit was inspiring scripture through him here. Your affliction is light and momentary. Even if it hurts like hell, it feels like hell. Because part of it is the attempt of hell to, to bring affliction on us. And we're saying, I'll take it on behalf of Jesus. And he says, so I'm not losing heart. Because even if my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is what you are living for and what I'm living for. It's light momentary on the scale of life, and it's heavy eternal when we're talking about what we're, what we're giving up and what we're receiving in return. This affliction that you receive in being kind to someone who's obnoxious, just a little self-look, self maybe you're the obnoxious one. It's always worth, it's always worth looking at and considering that, that light momentary affliction of patience with the person who cut you off, of, of appreciating the comment of a person that felt self-righteous, of going the extra step, of giving your cloak or walking the extra mile. In, I'm just talking about in the church here, of, of patiently receiving the mocking of your coworkers. That light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Nothing can be compared to that. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For what we see is transient, but what we can't see is eternal. So this is what we're, this is what we're looking toward. We're looking toward what we can't see. We're, we're looking past what we can see, and we're saying my affliction is momentary. My pain and my disappointment that I, we didn't see all of Kurdistan reached and then them reaching the whole Middle East and then them reaching the whole world in 12 years. That's what we were expecting to see. And my pain at not seeing that, my sharing in the disappointment of Jesus, my filling up the, the suffering that was lacking. It's a light momentary affliction. Number one, compared to what he suffered. Number two, compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits your suffering and your weakness, which is all you have to offer. 
So let's, let's kind of start to lay in the plane and let's look at the middle, the middle section. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. So this is verses 13 to 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. He's quoting Psalm 116. So Psalm 116, we don't know the author. It is a psalm of deliverance where the author is just like, God, I need you. Come deliver. Come deliver. You're so amazing. You've done so much. I know your history. I know your story. You're amazing. But my life hurts right now, and I am afflicted. And Psalm 116, 110 says, even I believed, even as I spoke, I'm afflicted. So what he's saying is, I'm hurting right now, God. I don't know what to do. You haven't rescued me, but I believe. I believe. I believe. Because I know who you are. And so no matter what my circumstances and my pain and my disappointment and my hurt and how many people have hurt me and left me and called me names and said mean things and and that I've seen the failure of the church, I've seen the people in the church not be nice. I've seen them leave the church. I've seen the church not know what we believe about this or that, and we, we're confused, and I've seen all this pain, and I just, but I believe. I believe. Even as I say, God, I'm hurting, and I don't know what to do. I believe. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing what we know, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And bring us with you into his presence. We know what the end of the story is. We know what the end of the story is. The question I think really is, can we say, I believe and so I speak. I believe in the God who orchestrates all things. And who will give me an eternal weight of glory that I can't comprehend. In the midst of my weakness and suffering. For it is all for your sake so that the, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We want to see the thanksgiving of God increase. So I just want to, I, I, I want to wrap up in this place of belief. I want us to sit in the question of, I, all I have is weakness. I thought I went to Kurdistan in strength, that we, we were like, we'd been called for 15 years, and God finally was sending us, and we were ready to go, and he had prepared us to go, and, and then all these years of loving life and, and doing life there and not seeing the fruit that we thought, and man, I just want you to know in the aftermath, I have had a, It's been so hard to say, God, I believe some days. So hard. But I do. I do believe. I believe that God is at work. I believe there's an eternal weight of glory. I believe that the Kurds heard the gospel through us. I believe that they're still coming. I believe that we played a part. I believe that he has a plan right now, and I even though I don't know what it is, and I don't know what I'm doing, but it is so hard to offer weakness to God. 
because it feels like he deserves more. Your church has two, two promises. I asked Mark about some of the promises that you live in as a people. Joshua chapter 1, um, where, where uh, the, the, the Lord says, be strong and courageous. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. He said, go and take the land. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. And so God has promised you that he will give you this land. I cannot promise you anything. Certainly, I don't know how that will look. But my question right now is, will you live in that promise? Isaiah 54, 2 and 3 you know, verse 1, it says, it's talking about the barren woman. Why would a barren woman make a bigger tent? That doesn't make any sense. And yet the promise is, stretch your tent curtains out. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Because it's going to be full. You're going to have a full tent. I don't know what that's going to look like. My question to you is, can you stand in the pain of the last couple of years and say, God, I believe even if I don't, I want to, and I believe. And so I have a, I have a, part of what I think God has made me to do is to, to stand in the promises that he's given to other people and to warn uh, those people. And my wife, Christy, is very prophetic, and she sent me a couple verses yesterday and said, hey, these might be important for you. And I read this one from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2, and, and here's what it says. I just fell apart as I read this. And, and Jeremiah says, on behalf of the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can't hold water. We have forsaken, maybe you have forsaken the living God, the fountain of living waters. And you've tried to build a cistern and get refreshment somewhere else. I don't know where that is. You know where that is. You're coping. You're, 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 you're tired. You need rest. You're, and I just want to say, there is a fountain of living water available to you. Stop looking at broken cisterns for water. There's no water in them. And I just exhort you in the Lord. He is the only living water. And Jesus said it to that woman at the well. And, and in Psalm 36, uh, the author of, of that psalm also said it. He said, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And I just want to say to you, there is only one fountain of life, and it's Jesus. There is only one fountain of living water, and it is the God who made heaven and earth. And I don't know, I don't know where it's hard for you to believe right now. I don't know where your pain is. I don't know if it's with the church. I don't know if you've never been to church, and you just have pain, and you don't know what to do with it. I just want you to know that there is one fountain of living water, and his name is Jesus. And, and we've got to stop looking at broken cisterns. 
they are never going to satisfy your thirst. They can't. And so the, the call that I, that I want to put in front of you is a couple things. One is I want to ask you, is, is Jesus worthy of your weakness? It's all you have. Whether you, whether you realize that or not, it's all you have. And I thought, God wants my strength. He wants my giftedness. He wants my, like, what he's made me to do. And I saw it for 12 years that that didn't, that didn't accomplish what I hoped and thought it would. And now I'm offering him, like, God, I'm just, I, like, I can't, I don't know what I can do. I don't know. And it's hard to offer him that weakness because it feels like it's useless or it feels like, but what are you going to do with that? And I, maybe he doesn't want to do anything with it. He just wants to take it. He just wants to hold it and have it and receive it. And so I want you to process that question. God, am I willing to give you my weakness? And then also the, the question of, is, is it time to believe again? This weekend, I think there's new faith happening in me. that I have been longing for and I don't know where to find it. Maybe I'm drinking from dry cisterns where all there is is muddy water in them. But I want the fountain of living water. I don't want to look to, to cisterns that I built that won't hold water. So I'm not just exhorting you and warning you of, of broken cisterns. I'm, I am feeling the warning of the Spirit of God. And so, uh, Mark, I don't know if you want to kind of come up and be a part of this or just lead, lead your people. I just want to say there's a place right now for you to say, God, I believe. I believe whatever's going on, I believe. And I want to encourage you, if your faith is at, a, is at a high place, yes to that, amen to that. Let that faith go. Bring it more whatever God is doing in you and restoring that joy bring more of that let that be let it go let it flow like yes to that it's not just everybody's not at this broken place that I'm feeling so I want to say over you yes to your place of high faith and I want to call you to a place to say God I believe you I trust you I believe you even though I'm afflicted I believe God I believe and I just want to call you into that place the fountain of living water. He's, he's ready and available to you. And he wants to let you drink eternal living water and you'll never be thirsty again. And so bless you and may God give you the, the faith that you need in this moment. I think God is just working in our hearts right now. And before we rush to do anything, I 
want to just make space for what he's doing. And I think some of us are maybe accepting our weakness in a way that is really hard for us. That's really hard for me to accept weakness. I, I will bulldoze over my weakness until I figure out how to make something happen that I want. And I will do whatever it takes. <clears throat> and that's, that's not what we're called to. And I just, invitation, I think some of us are just sitting in our uh, weakness and maybe processing the disappointment of the last season. And we talk about this in this church, that faith is not at odds with feelings. And we need to go through our pain and go through our feelings in order to find the resurrection. And so some of us, this is a moment of sitting there and saying it's okay to be weak and it's okay to, to bring some closure to some of the pain of the last season. And that closure may not end today, but it may be a step in it. And maybe in a few minutes, you know, we're going to stand and believe. But but just right now, I want to just give a few minutes. And, and a little different today, um, if God is speaking to you today and you want some prayer, I want to invite you to actually just raise your hand.